Thank you so much for joining me today on the Reborn Podcast. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, which is Jimmy Hatch. He is a retired SEAL from the Naval Special Warfare Operator. Um, Jimmy was a canine handler on several deployments, and he was regularly spared by the working canines. And um, one of the most memorable was Spike, which was his working canine that he had throughout his deployment. Um, so today we're going to learn and hear about Jimmy's story. Um, recently, Jimmy was out at American Brew, and he talks about Spike. Uh, if you're not watching on the video, he um, Jimmy has a lot of tattoos as well, <laughs> and he has a tattoo of Spike. And I always hear him talk about Spike, but... And I've seen pictures of Spike. Their logo for Spike's canine is actually him and his canine, uh, Spike. And I had never... This was the first time that I had seen when, uh, you know, Jimmy and Emily, who is the director of operations, they were dining here at American Brew, which is where we're doing our podcast. He pulled out the harness that Spike had um, and the harness and the vest that... Spike was wearing that night that Spike gave his life for Jimmy. And it just had this emotional, almost like a connection for me to see the harness and everything that Spike was wearing that night that he gave his life for a who man which is what I like to say, not a human, a human. And it just made everything that Jimmy is doing, his purpose and his time in the military and then transitioning out, it made it so real life. Um, those of you who follow along with me, or maybe now you're following uh, Dewey on Instagram, who is an awesome character, I could not imagine losing my canine Um and I've only had Cadman now for a little over a year. Um, I, I am so attached to that dog. And he hasn't even been in a situation to where he put his life before mine, which I know without a doubt, if the situation occurred where he would have to put his life in front of mine, he would. There is something about that, about the bond of a working canine with their handler, with their who-man, that makes the connection so deep that we're just, we're just going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. So we met, um, I met Emily in 2016, is that yeah. what you said? August. In August <laughs> of 2016. That seems like so... It seems like it was like yeah. so yesterday, but it, yeah. that was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Lots happened since then. <laughs> so you said that Aaron had called you. Yep. So, so we got a message actually on our Facebook that you guys wanted to do, or it was, uh, your gym wanted to do a fundraiser for us. And I knew exactly. I mean, I've been following you for years and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, we have the support of a lot of big people, but this was like... <laughs> This was huge. And so I'm like blowing it up to Jimmy. Like, oh my gosh, Ashley wants to do a fundraiser for us. This is crazy. And like, he doesn't get crazy over celebrities or anybody. <laughs> yeah, right, so he's right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Which I don't, <laughs> just for the record, I don't consider myself a celebrity like at all. And I'm sure that you guys know, like now that yeah. you're like in my circle that you're like, yeah. it's just Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. Ashley. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, I called, we set it up and then we go to your gym and we just meet and I think we all just like had a connection right away and you were doing the fundraiser and yeah. rode 300 hours for us. And Jimmy, like just, he couldn't believe he always says that you're one of the hardest workers and oh. talks well, I about feel that way about you guys though. Yeah. You guys are always working. No, it's different. <laughs> yeah. We love it. And I mean, I know you love what you do too, but yeah. It that, was, so that was the start of my relationship with yeah. spikes and I don't like, I don't know what it is. Like I, I meet certain people in my life and I think that like once you come in and like I, you know, I'm like strongly passionate about it. Like you're like, I will always fight for the things 
that I love and for the things that like I actually care about that. And that, I mean, that even like goes beyond the fundraisers that I do that goes with like sponsors and like people that I endorse. I have to truly love the product. I have to truly love the mission. I have to truly love the who man. Yeah. I remember Erin saying that, like, she wants to meet you guys so she can get a feel for it before the fundraiser. Like, she really needs to meet you. Uh, Yeah, it's like, I have to know. Like, I have to know the story. I have to... And little did I know, I heard a lot of stories from Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Can't talk about all those. So, but before we go any further, it is tradition on the Reborn podcast. If you are here in person with me, we... um, take a shot of whiskey because we are at American Brew, the whiskey, uh, coffee whiskey bar. And so we are doing, and I actually picked this whiskey. This is the rebel, the rebel yell. Okay. I actually picked this whiskey because of Emily. <laughs> say wolf, Emily. <laughs> no. Say it. No. Say it. No. No, Lucy. Say it. Sometimes I say wolf and wolf. I'm from West Virginia, so. Yes. It's it not wolf. Up. It's woof. <laughs> Awesome. It comes out. Uh, I like everything that the reason why I picked this this whiskey. Um, and I know in the podcast before, like a lot of the whiskeys that I love and that like I really grow attached to is because of not only the name but like the story behind the whiskey. And this whiskey, the Rebel Yell, I just I saw it on the shelf. We have a sh- a shelf full of whiskeys, scotches, and bourbons. I was like, this one. Definitely defines Emily. Everything that she's doing, she is the sweetest girl, but you know there is a little bit of rebel to her. So, today's toast, I want to make it to Spike that um, you didn't know it then, and it was a lot of hardship that you had to go through. A lot of transition, but Spike ultimately was the trigger that transitioned you from a Navy SEAL to going into the civilian world and doing all of the acts of kindness and the acts of good that you're doing now. So, cheers to Spike. Cheers. Thank you. So, I just want to say thank you to our listeners for joining in today and for listening to us and With Jimmy, I met this group, this organization, in 2016, and I did a 300-mile row, and I raised, how much money was it? Uh, it was close to 10000 Enough for four vests. Was it four? Three vests? It was over ten grand. yeah. Oh, um, I didn't think it was that much. Was it that much? Yeah. Yeah. And then whenever we were up in Roanoke, I got to meet for the first time the two officers. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. I basically put out the work for, which yeah. was really cool. And I have to say, too, like, it's not me. It's it's the community that supports me and my mission and the things that I'm passionate about that it, it all the credit goes back to you guys. And so I am truly thankful for that. And that three-mile row... Uh, you rode with me, didn't you? Some, not much, but yeah, a little. Did you ride mile? Me? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I rode a little bit. I was so intimidated. I'm like, why? Uh, you should. I mean, oh, I just yeah, yeah, yeah. never. I had never rode that was, much. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was. Uh, just, she wasn't really worried about the rowing as much as she was about being around you. I just didn't want to let so you down. Cause, so yeah. we were actually talking about that um, in our one of our like our last podcast about. And so, like, I, I don't know what it is about me that, like, is intimidating. And um, I'm actually getting ready to get another tattoo nice. next week. Nice. Um, but how, like, even the just, like, the persona or, like, the like a, being a female and, like, having tattoos um, can be intimidating. And it's funny because whenever we hire somebody on to the team here at American Brew, they're like, fuck, that's my boss. <laughs> You know, and they're like, they're genuinely like really intimidated. And then once they get to know me, they're like, oh, yeah, she's like the nicest boss I've ever had. <laughs> um, but I'm getting like the, I'm continuing my sleeve nice. with uh, Sean from Otzi. And I'm nice. getting uh, a snake up on my neck. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that's like hardcore. I love all your tattoos. Yeah. Like the don't tread on me snake. Yeah. So 
That's like pretty, that's pretty intense. That's so tender up there. Is it? I don't know. I would think. (laughs) Do you have a neck tattoo? No. (laughs) Do you want to get one? I don't know. I do want to like rebel yell. Yeah. 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 Bring the bottle. Yeah. Bring the bottle. We'll do it. So Jimmy, can you, I guess people who don't know you, who don't know, can you give, like, tell us a little bit about your time in the military that night with Spike and why he is, I mean, he's very much, Spike is very much alive and a part of you today. Yeah, so I'll start, um, I joined the military the day I turned 17. Uh, It was, for me, it was, um, when I was a very young kid, all I read were military books and mostly World War II, Vietnam, Korea War type stuff. And I realized that um, <clears throat> it was kind of a family, but you had to earn your way, you know, and you had to be invested in the, in the community. And it was tough, and that was all appealing to me as a young guy. And I really wanted to be in a position where I could be close to the enemies of our nation so I could see them and feel them. And uh, it took me a long time to get there. I went to SEAL training twice and made it through the second time barely and uh, <clears throat> Went to SEAL teammate, and then from there I interviewed and went to Naval Special Warfare Development Group, and I did some stuff there. I went a few other places in the military, but by and large, most of my time was spent here in Virginia. Spike was the first working dog that I worked with. I was scared to death of him, and I remember the first day I met him, I was pretty intimidated, so I drove so how, down how to much, work. So how much experience did you have with, with working canines? dogs? Yeah, before Not Spike. much. Not much. Just a little bit around uh, different police, and then we had a couple at the unit at the time. Uh-huh. So I didn't have a lot. You should tell about the uh, essay, and that's why they asked you to be the, the handler. See, this is going to be hard if she keeps I'm sorry. I'm no, it's no, no, no. That's why, that's no, why no, no, no. I wrote, a, I wrote a paper in the 90s about incorporating dogs because I thought there were some of our mission sets that were would be a lot easier if we had canines helping us out. Mm-hmm. And they were, were were they using a lot of canines no. then? So, they weren't. And you know, they were they used them in Vietnam and I remember when I went through SEAL training uh, the second time, one of my instructors was a guy who'd been a dog handler in Vietnam and I he was amazing. And uh, I occasionally I could get him, you know, to tell stories. It was really cool. So that was in my head, you know, I guess going in. I've always loved dogs. So I wrote this paper to the leadership and they're like, Yeah, hey, this is great and they put it, you know, in a file and Fast forward, 9-11 happens, war start. The Army guys started their dog program back up in the special operations uh, area, and then, you know, our community followed suit. And there were people there that remembered that I'd written the paper, and they said, hey, man, you want to be involved? And I said, heck, yeah, I really do. So um, guy went to Holland, picked up a dog for me. His name was Spike. and So you were his first handler? Uh, well, no, when the dogs, most of the, most of the dogs that police or military yeah. get here have actually been trained in Europe. Uh-huh. or like Hungary or Poland mm-hmm. uh, to a little degree so that they know how to bite and they know how to release and basic obedience. Mm-hmm. So how, when we get them... Well, how old were you when you knew man, that you were going to be a Navy SEAL? Oh, when I knew I was going to be a SEAL? When you wanted to be. The day I graduated. I didn't know if I'd ever make it through. Uh, and even then, you know, like, when are you really a SEAL? I don't think it's when you get through SEAL training and get your yeah. pin. I don't think it's after your first deployment. I think... I think it takes a few years to be a real seal. Yeah. There's a lot of seals running around with really pretty pins on and right. books and didn't go to combat and didn't yeah. really spend any time doing the hard stuff. So, I mean, what's a seal, I guess? <laughs> um, I definitely knew I wanted to be a seal um, fairly early on. Actually, an army guy. I was in uh, jump school. And he said, you know, Hatch, you're a lot like these crazy guys that come through here occasionally. <laughs> They're Navy guys. I'm like... Because I, when I first joined, I wanted to be a Green Beret. When you grew up, mm. I grew up in the 70s, mm-hmm. and coming off Vietnam, Green Berets were everything. John Wayne. I mean, it was like, that was the deal. But all the movies about SEAL teams in the books now, back then, it was Green Berets. Uh, so you, originally, you wanted to be a Green Beret. Yeah. Did so you the, do, like, any... No. Did you try to go Green Beret? Uh, a little bit. I started it. I went to boot camp, uh, and then I went to jump school. Mm-hmm. So I joined the reserves. Oh. And then I went home to finish my senior year of high school. Didn't really like school, and went to a Navy recruiter after this Army guy said, hey, you need to check out the SEAL teams. So we didn't have the internet back then. I got home after jump school, went to the library, encyclopedia, looked up Navy SEALs, and there's pictures of the these library. dudes. The library. Yeah, right? Yeah, that place. Uh, I remember looking it up in the 
encyclopedia and there's pictures of like two or three dudes standing on the beach with machine guns and I'm like dude I'm all over that <laughs> yeah no no clue you know right. and so I went to a Navy recruiter and he's like yeah I got you so you just you decided to join to switched try. over yeah yeah just because of like an image that you saw well like, I mean the, the guy who told me about the SEAL teams yeah. was a, a ranger it was an army guy he was my company commander at jump school so to me as a 17 year old kid that dude was like a god yeah and he was a stud and he's like hey man you know your mindset's a little different you gotta try that out right. So here we are. Yeah, I mean, it does take a different mindset, though, to do what it is that, that you yeah. did and continue to do. Uh, yeah, maybe. It does. <laughs> it's a different, it's a different, you have a different tick yeah. than sure. most who-mans. And he, he didn't make it through the first time. He rang the bell. I've heard this story. You rang I go the to bell? The oh, did. yeah, I quit. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah, first it's pretty time. funny, actually. What, like, what did you it's do It's probably a good lesson for people here. So <laughs> I just didn't have any confidence. And... I mean, I was, you know, I'm a mid-sized dude. Now I'm a little bit thicker than I used to be, but <laughs> I showed up there. I was like 5'10", and I weighed like a buck 40, buck, buck 45. I could run, um, but I got cold quick because I didn't have any fat yeah. on me. And I didn't know that I was a decent swimmer. I, 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 it worked out that I was, um, but I just didn't have any real faith in myself. Mm. And, the, you know, Hell Week is, back then it was the fifth week. Now I think it's the fourth week. Hell Week is this huge thing. Oh, my God, you know, you the starts on Sunday night and it gets over on Friday and you they don't you don't sleep you, you, they beat the, the piss out of you the whole time like you're swimming or carrying logs or boats or paddling whatever just hell week you know it, I just made it out to be this huge thing and so 10 minutes into hell week I'm laying there in the surf with my buddies and nobody's quit yet um, they're saying mean things to us and shooting blanks and pop flares in the air and it's cold and the biggest guy in our class gets up and quits. And he, this dude had done the Ironman. I mean, he was probably like 6'6". Six, six. He probably rated around 220, 215, 220. And he was chiseled. He was a specimen, man. And I'm like, what? Was he the <laughs> first that, one to quit? Oh, yeah. I'm like, if that dude doesn't belong here, I damn sure don't belong here. So it was like me, 10 other dudes, get up and quit. And wow. about an hour later, I'm like, that was stupid. And just because you saw one guy quit. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't have any confidence when I saw that guy. Like I didn't get it at the time. It doesn't really matter what you look like. I right. mean, it does yeah. to a degree, but no, what's no, really important I, I don't think it is, what you, like. you know, where your heart is. And yeah. so my heart was definitely not there. I was scared to death. I wasn't ready for that level of commitment. You know what I mean? So the Navy saw fit to send me <laughs> to the regular Navy, which is a special kind of hell. <laughs> I, I, I think ships are like jail, a except chef? you can drown. A oh, a ship. ship. Oh, you went on a ship. Dude, ships these are, are like that, jail. You didn't tell me you these stories drown. when I was rowing. So I was whenever ashamed. I was, whenever I was doing the 300 mile row, which I don't know how many days that took me, but Jimmy would come, especially towards the end of the day. And he would just tell me these crazy stories. <laughs> and like, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, you were he drinking. Never, you were drinking pickle juice. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. What the hell is going so on? Yeah. I never heard. I didn't know that you like went on a ship. Oh yeah, yeah. character oh, building. Yeah. Damn. Character building. So I call it my penalty lap. It was about three and a half years. Wow. And then I went back to SEAL training. Barely made it through. Barely. But physically, I was okay. It was just mentally, I was like, ah. But he's not mentioning. There's like a three percent. Eight. Eight percent of people that go back to SEAL training the second time that make it through. Only 8% make it through. So well, he's part of the 8%. That's I know. Good. I mean, he, like, first of all, <laughs> I just I have to just say... I should have just not quit the first J- time. Jimmy is very humble. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about... They can this, see me. They understand why. who man that he went through fucking hell twice. Yeah. Not only once, but twice. He went through... He saw this guy, intimidated confidence, yes. The identity thing of, like, I don't belong here. I don't identify to this. Yes. And then he quit. And then he went out on a boat for three years. That was probably horrible. And he's like, no, I'm going to go back. I want all, I want my shit pushed in again. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. Wow. That's a really good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then you're like, I want to endure all of that again because this is where I belong. The community... The Brotherhood, I want to be in on the teams. And then he went on to do Dev Group and then to do this special operation with uh, Spike. Yeah. Yeah, so Spike was my first dog, and I remember going to work so, that morning. So not 
not to fast forward too much, but I want to know, I'm sure you relived that moment of like the moment that you rang, rang the bell. Oh yeah. And you're probably at that same point going through the second time of the SEAL training. And you're, I mean, like no, it was, I, was I never it, got there. I never was got it that close. Hell week? Yeah. That, that, that's when you rang the bell the first time. Right. 10 minutes into and hell you, week. And yeah. you, like, what was it though? Like, I want to know, like the, what was it that changed mentally for you? I think that I, you know, going to the ship and doing something I hated for years with like in crappy conditions. And, um, I just think it helped me realize that I had the ability to endure stuff and that I could, I could probably do it. And I was pissed off, Yeah, which helps. What, what was your mindset though? Going back, I was scared, but I knew I wanted to be there. See, I'm not this... I'm not the kind of guy that I think is often portrayed. Uh, I don't... Uh, <clears throat> Commando? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not... I don't need to wear lots of pockets in my pants. And, you know, I'm just... <laughs> the whole, like, the fashion of it, like, I just never really fit that role. Yeah. Um, and really, most of the guys that I worked with were that way as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I was lucky to be there. I didn't feel like I was some badass or I was like, I'm here. I really want to work hard and contribute. I want to be an asset. You know, in life, you're one of two things. You're either an asset or you're a liability mm-hmm. to your family, to your team, to your church, to your school, whatever. And I, I just wanted to be an asset. Uh, and I hoped, like I was, I hope I can make it. You know, I hope I can perform and do what needs to be done. I was never, you know, super confident, ever. I'm still not, really. But I think there's a certain place for people like me, uh, just like there's a place for really super confident people that... Um, want to do the same kind of stuff. I just think it takes all kinds. But I was definitely not the prototype. You know? But but your mindset had to have changed from yeah, the first you know what, time really, that you went through. I think what it helped me focus, right? So I could do all kinds of work, but I really wanted to punish people bad. And, you know, there's personal reasons for that. I'm realizing as I get older, but I really wanted to be close into people and fight. I really wanted to do that. And the only way I could do that was by going back and being successful at that. So... I always envied the guys who were close combat, that had been inside really good fights and uh, knew the enemy. Like, they weren't just talking about them, but they saw them and they felt them. They, they saw how they moved and um, the kind of mindset they had. And uh, it made it, I was really motivated to, mm-hmm. to be in that. So fast forward mm. to you, what year was this? That I graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated in January of 1990. I was in Bud's class. I graduated with Bud's class 164. 164. Big class. I rolled in at the end because I failed some tests <laughs> <laughs> in a shocking development. <laughs> uh, and fortunately, they kept me, and, but I had to retake the tests, and I had to roll back to another class. And uh, mm-hmm. it, was cool. it was cool. So fast forward. How old were you in 1990? 1990. I think I was in first grade. Nice. <laughs> Emily? I was one. One. <laughs> So fast forward, um, you got into the teams Mm. and did you feel as if, and this is before social media, this was before, Yeah. did you feel like when you made it through and you got through even your first year, because I know the first year of being in the teams is tough and it takes a toll on you. Did you, did you truly feel like that's where you belonged? Uh, you know, and in in I think I, mm, when I first graduated, I thought I had this idea of what I would be like if I made it through SEAL training, but I was the same guy. Yeah. I, there was no, and so I was like, oh, that's kind of. Right. Wow. And then I got to my SEAL team and it was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was SEAL team eight and SEAL team eight had just started. So kind of growing pains yeah. a little bit. Uh, it was cool to be a part of that, but. It took me about a year to figure out um, there were other places I could go work that maybe right. would offer me more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you so think that like, at, at some point you were chasing success, like getting uh, into the SEALs? Did you think, like, if I make it to the SEALs? Because, I, I mean, for me, like, in, in my fitness journey, for the longest time I chased, I thought being a fitness model or I chased financial success. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know, like, this doesn't feel any different. 
like I thought that I was like chasing something or like, you know, I was chasing the financial success or like, I was just like, well, I thought people would like change you or, you know, I don't know, like make you feel successful. And I was like, it didn't really, I don't know. It didn't, I was still the same small town girl from Oklahoma. It didn't change me. Like I thought that it would make me feel great. Didn't do anything for me. Well, you know, back to the story about when I quit in SEAL training. This big guy, stud, and he quit. You know, he didn't have it in him. And I remember thinking about that when I was in gunfights. And you'd see these dudes, and they had all kinds of great stuff. And they were, but when you actually got in their face, they just didn't have it in them. They didn't have that moxie, you know. And I I really, that's what I wanted. And Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I had it inside, but, uh, you know, I've had ups and downs with it for sure. I think what happens is that we, at least I, create these ideas in my head about what I should be if this. Like, hey, if I made a million dollars, what would I? Right. You know, like when I wrote that book, my wife and I joke about this. <laughs> we have this thing, that, yeah, when the book sells. Like, yeah. that's what we say, right? Yeah. Nobody makes money off of books. Right. Unless you're, like, writing about the president or something. You know what I mean? You just don't. And uh, I remember talking to Jason Redmond about that. And he's like, yeah, we didn't make any money either. Right. But I had this idea, hey, when you're a published author, there's just money, you know. Yeah. And it's just not the case. <laughs> or you think that, you're, think that like, that's it. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the what it means. Yeah, that yeah. is the pinnacle of, like, what it means to be successful. Yeah. And, like, ultimately, I guess kind of coming full circle is that's why I... You know, for the longest time, I chased after being a published fitness model and chasing being a fitness model. I thought for me, like that would define success. And I got there and I was like, well, this isn't really successful. I don't feel any different. And then I chased financial success. And then I made over a million dollars before I was 30. And I was like, well, this doesn't really do anything for me. I don't feel successful. Like this is what like the world, I think, defines like what success is. It doesn't like I'm just me. The moment I started giving back and doing things for, like Spike's Canine, using my God-given athletic abilities, the platform that I have, using that to be able to raise awareness for great who-mans that are doing amazing things, that is when I felt like I truly became alive and like where my passion was. And for me, that is what defined success. Nice. It wasn't about the publicity. It wasn't about having a big social media account. It wasn't about having X amount of money in the bank or the house or the cars. None of that. All of that is material. Yeah. It does. It didn't. It, and I thought that it would change me that like that would be what the world wanted me to think, like what defined success. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't define success for me. But the moment I started to give back, the moment I started to put my heart and soul into organizations that I truly was passionate about, like Spikes, was the moment that I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is what I truly feel passionate about. Yeah. Giving back to the working canines, like Spikes. Nice. So that night, you went out with Spike. No, the, what I want to tell you about when I first met him, I was scared. So I, went, oh, yeah. I stopped at 7-Eleven, the one down here on General Booth, right? And mm. I got a bunch of Slim Jims, and I cut them up. I put him in my pocket, and I went over there to the kennel, and the trainer's there, and gets him out. He's like, this is Spike. And I'm like, first thing I did is I knelt down. And he's a Belgian Malinois? He was a Malinois, yeah. I knelt down, and, the, and my trainer's like, dude, stand up. Don't yeah. ever do that. And I'm like, yeah. okay. And then I handed him a Slim Jim, and he ate it. <laughs> and I was like, are we cool? And I handed him another Slim Jim, and he ate it. And then the, the trainer gave me a leash, and we went for a walk and started there. So we worked. Pretty were hard. you were you a, a considered like a one of the canine handlers yet, or this was like when you were first learning? It was when I was first learning. Okay, but yeah, I was assigned as a canine handler, so mm-hmm. I went through about six months worth of training. Because mm-hmm. you wrote the essay, because the paper. Yeah, yeah, you wrote the essay a long, long a few years before that, obviously, but six months or so to get ready to deploy. That's not enough time, but you know you don't have six months. Kind of, yeah, wow. you don't have that. You just don't have that. No. kind of time to, to mess around, you know, if you're operational. So we deployed to Iraq in 2005 and then again in 2006 on the second deployment is when he got killed and uh, the 23rd of December. I sent him to bite a dude. He hit him and the guy started fighting him. I put some rounds into the guy and one of the bullets went through him and killed the dog. I picked the dog up, threw him over my shoulder. I didn't know he was, you know, what his status was. I started running back to get him to the medics and I felt him die. It was horrible horrible and uh where did it where did the bullet enter in uh actually it went through kind of the top up by his spine and the guy had him on the ground 
And so it went through a little bit offset of his kind of midsection in his spine, and it blew his lung out, completely blew the right lung out. So at that time, were canines wearing any sort of, like, protection? No, the dog. so even now, like, most of the military dogs that are overseas doing those kind of missions, you can't, to, to, to wear the kind of body armor that would stop a 762 by 39, like an AK-47 round, it would be way too heavy for the dogs. They wouldn't be able to work. So we can wear those plates, but they're only good for like one or two shots. You know what I mean? The dogs, it would be too heavy for him. So he didn't have a ballistic vest. In fact, the dogs that are over there fighting now don't either. It's just too heavy. I mean, there's just no, there's no way you could expect the dog to perform. It, it would end up getting the dog killed. Right. So, yeah, he didn't have any ballistic protection. So I came home, got another dog, went back. So when you say that you, like, came home and got another dog, did you have, I yeah, mean, so, what? Well, we finished the deployment. I came back. Uh, they so, figured out a dog so for me. So Spike saved, saved your life. Oh, yeah, more than once, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And did anybody else, like, lose their life that night? Just the, Spike. Just the bad guys. They died. And then you brought Spike home. Yeah, brought his ashes home. And still have them. And that was, was that in the middle of your deployment? It was or? towards the end. And I was really so messed up. You, so you came home right yeah, after that? Yep. I came home right after that. And then. And then you took another dog yeah, back out right away. Back, yeah. The next deployment. Mm-hmm. His name was Toby. He was awesome. Did you think that your bond with Toby was different than your bond with Spike? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Spike was, I was a virgin, you know what I mean? So he and I were super tight. Uh, mm-hmm. Toby was a little bit different. He was a lot harder, like, not meaning he hit harder. or He was just a little bit bigger. Didn't you say and, he was the most violent soul? Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was, his religion was violence, man. Spike used violence, just like, like we would, you know, like a human, like, mm-hmm. hey, I have mm-hmm. to do it, so. Mm-hmm. But Toby wanted to be in violence all mm-hmm. the time. And that's where he was by far the most comfortable in his life, very short life. Um, he was, he was amazing. I'm just the pure violence in that dog was, I was, it was amazing. And I loved it. I just wasn't good at handling it. So I ended up. Do you we, think that, do you think bit. that's because of like your, your past experience? With well, like I think it was just cause I'm, you know, I'm, my default is aggression and that's not necessarily always the best thing with a dog. Right. I think, you know, you have to remember that you're the human and you have a, Human, is that what you said? Um, and you have a bigger intellect, so you should try to manipulate the circumstances to right. avoid conflict with the, a dog that can, you know, tear you up and put stitches in you and be, bite you to the bone, you know. But he and I, I was like, you do what I want. And he's like, I know what you want. And so we ended up getting into it a little bit. And um, we were very successful together for that deployment, um, but I got fired from him. After he bit me, they're like, dude, we can't have that. So uh, he went to another handler. And the next deployment for him, he was killed. He was biting a dude Dang. in Kandahar in Afghanistan who had a suicide vest on. The guy clacked himself off. And, but Toby found that guy hiding, and he saved a lot of lives. Wow. Toby was amazing. So after Spike, you ended up retiring out of the military. No. So I did. I went on the next deployment with Toby, came home. I was fired from being a dog guy, uh, and they put me in charge of humans. <laughs> like middle, middle management mm-hmm. kind of guy and uh, ended up doing some more deployments. And then in 2009, I went out on a mission to rescue a guy named Bo Bergdahl, who was uh, an army kid that had gotten confused and mm-hmm. walked off. And uh, we went after him. And I had a, a handler with me, a guy named Mike Toussaint, who's now runs a, a dog training business in uh, Texas and Ohio. He's got, Wait, what's his name? Mike Toussaint. Mm, okay. And he had a dog with him that night. His name mm-hmm. was Remco. And Remco, it was Remco's first deployment, and he was a big Malinois, big, strong dog. And I would take him on, like, runs around the base. Uh, he and I got to be kind of friends. And uh, anyway, we got the call. We went on our mission, and we had to split up my team. And I knew Mike and the dog were fairly new at all of this, so I s- kept them with me. The dog ended up saving my life, but the dog got shot right in front of us, and... Uh, I got shot right after the dog. And then Mike and one other shooter kind of saved us. Uh, the mm-hmm. dog saved us for sure because mm-hmm. those guys were set up on us. 
he found them, but we weren't quick enough. Me in particular wasn't mm-hmm. quick enough to shoot those guys before they shot him. Where, where did you get shot at? And, and those of you who cannot see Jimmy, he does have a scar that goes from his, is it your upper thigh? Yeah. Down to all the way your ankle. I got shot in the femur right above my right knee. Mm-hmm. And it hurt. And I was not nearly as tough as I thought I would be when I got shot. Blew my, <laughs> blew my femur out the back of my leg. It was yeah. brutal. Anyway, my buddies saved my ass for sure. So the night that I got wounded, the dog that saved me was Remco. In our logo, there's four stars. And each one of the dogs that I worked with that was killed in combat is represented by one of those stars. Mm. So Remco was the last one. So there's Spike. Toby. Toby. Remco. And then there was a dog named Falco, Falco. who was killed the deployment before that. I was not his handler, but I was out on the mission. And that dog saved a lot of lives. Yeah, saved your life. Yeah. He was... And he was... He could be a lap dog. You would never know he was a working dog. Wow. He was a pretty good-sized dog, too. And Super was he sweet. also a, a Belgian Malma? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So transitioning from being in the military, and that's bas- that's all that you knew was, like, yeah, the military. Yeah. I mean, that was, like, that was your life. Yeah. How was it transitioning from the military? I know there was a specific defining moment getting out of the military and transitioning into the civilian world where the reason why you do what it is that you do today with all of the, the police, the first responders yeah, yeah. was because of a specific night. Yeah. Do you want to talk? Yeah, about that? yeah, for sure. So I just didn't handle the transition well, you know, and I, it's great to look back now. Do you now. think that you, like, just, you lost that? Like, I mean, I know, th- this is the thing, is, like, the, the SEAL teams, it's all about, like, the brotherhood, and, like, you, that, that, was, that was your life. Like, you identified with that. Yeah, I did. But, but even more than that, every day I was in the military, I knew what I had to do, and I knew what my mission was, and I knew, like, hey, if I'm not overseas fighting, we're getting ready to go, and we need to be really good at it. I had this purpose and this drive and mm-hmm. this... It was given to me, and I went, went through these vetting processes that put me in a place where, you know, we were operating at a very high level, and I wanted that, but nobody was handing me that. You know what I mean? Like, that was cool in the military, but nobody outside of it really gave a damn. Yeah. You right. know? I mean, like, that's not true. No, there no, are people is, who want to manipulate that. Oh, you, you know... You came from this unit? Well, hey, we got a job for you selling, you know. It's different, though. Right, it's yeah. like, it's the, it's, I don't know why, but I want to use the word tribe. You know, it's funny. I, just, <laughs> I think there's a certain amount of truth to that, but I also think it's, that's often abused. You know, guys who scream brotherhood the loudest are often the guys that aren't very mm. good brothers. So I, I found people have tried to manipulate that right. brotherhood like the term, to, like what it means, yeah, yeah, or tribe. Yeah, and tribe. I'm, I'm very sensitive to the tribe thing. Right. But it, what it came down to to me was that the brotherhood or the tribe were guys that I was in gunfights with. Right. And we went out there together and did things. Um, Those were your who-mans? Right. They were my people. But that, that wasn't fair. And it was mm-hmm. also arrogant and limiting. So it took me a while to get through that, and I didn't handle it well. So I got hurt, got addicted to the meds, washing them down with vodka. Spent, uh, I had 18 surgeries on my legs. Uh, spent over a month. Surgeries. I spent a month in getting surgeries. Came home for a few weeks, and then back in the hospital for a few weeks, getting more surgeries. Then I went out to, um, out to Arizona to a hospital out there to get some stuff done. Then I came home, and I was done. And I started drinking myself to death and uh, washing my pills down with vodka and then I decided I was just going to kill myself so I walked out I remember I, I was really messed up but I remember not wanting to make a mess in the house so I went outside in the driveway garbage cans took a pistol put it in my mouth Could, didn't really have the minerals to squeeze it off I know how to use a gun you know it was just it was a really bad cry for help my wife sees me and she's like holy shit she runs out grabs a gun Again, I know how to use a gun. I could have pulled the trigger and blown my, blow my brains out. I just didn't have it in me. Then I was disappointed that I did that to my wife, and I felt like a, you know, okay, you, you don't even have the minerals to finish the job. You, you're worthless. You know, it made me feel worse. So she went back in the house, called my unit, and they said, hey, man, you need to call the police. So the guys, I remember listening to her call 911 and explain to them who I was and my background. And I remember that day because there had been a shooting in a park not too far from our house. 
And I'm like, yeah, these guys will be wired. They'll be fired up, and they'll come over here, and they'll want to fight, and I'm all over that. Maybe they'll shoot me in the head because I don't have the minerals to do it. Those guys came over, and I remember watching them get out of the car. And again, I was really messed up. But they got out of the car. They were pros, first of all. They weren't tough guy coming up with their chest like, hey, we're going to thump you, buddy, which I kind of wanted. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I know, we're talking about baseball, and I feel like they give a shit. Like, they right. care. Yeah. So I would like to take this moment to just reflect a little bit at this time when we're all hearing about defunding the police and, you know, people are, you don't hear much good about what the police do, but I'm a product of good policing. Well, they and, saved your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they didn't pull a gun. They didn't fight me. All they did was make me feel like they gave a shit. And they showed mm-hmm. up because my wife called them because she was freaked out. Yeah. And... They didn't know what they were walking into, and they still showed up. And I think that there should be more talk like that. I think it's embarrassing what I did, but I think, you know, whatever. I'm just, I can't help what I did, but but those guys need to be recognized. uh, But at that moment, you know, you talk about, like, the purpose and, like, who you are now and the good, Jimmy, that you're doing for, like, so many people. If you wouldn't have gone through that, you would not have helped as many people as you have helped today. For sure. I think it was definitely humbling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No doubt. Anyway, those guys hooked me up. My buddies came over. They turned me over. The cops turned me over. Them. They took me to the hospital. I was met there by a couple people. One of them was Mike Day. And Mike, for those who don't know, got shot 27 times. Yeah. I got shot once. And I remember him sitting there in the room with me. I actually listened to his podcast recently. Yeah, he does those? I, it was with a, maybe it was with like a Jocko, maybe? I don't know. But, um, I, no, I haven't, I haven't listened to him. But he, he was sitting there and I said, Mike, you know, fuck, I got shot once, man. I'm a fucking mess. And he got I'm shot like, 27 times. I'm like, you got times. shot 27 times. He's like, dude, we all have our way through this stuff. There's no, nobody's got it down, you know. I was, it was pretty surprising. It made a big difference. Also, my buddies. Uh, I, I went from there to the psych ward, which... How long um, were you in the psych ward for? A couple weeks, three weeks. And then they were just trying to find a place to send me after that for longer-term care. And so the guys who ended up kind of saving my life the night that I got shot up, they were both involved in me going to the next. It was a civilian Can we back facility. it up? I'm sorry, I got to interrupt. Can we back it up to the story, kind of why they thought you needed to go somewhere else and you weren't fit for there because they brought you in some magazines? and. Well, I, this may or may not have been the reason, but <laughs> some of the guys came to see me and I you know in the SEAL teams the only time you really wear your dress uniform is when you're going to a funeral mm-hmm. or when somebody's getting some crazy award and like some admiral's giving it to him or like mm-hmm. a congressman or something so I know I'm, I'm embarrassed I'm in these little purple pajamas and I'm in the hospital <laughs> and my buddies God bless them they're like hey we're gonna go see him and I'm like fuck I don't want those guys coming over here they right. gotta put their uniform on and it sucks, you know. Okay. But they kept showing up. They'd come see me, and I'd be sitting there in my little purple pajamas, all dejected and embarrassed and shit, but they didn't care. So one day, a couple of young guys came, and they brought me some skydiving magazines, and they handed them to me, and one of the people that works there reaches over, and he's like, hey, man, I, I can't let you have those magazines. And I'm like, why? He said, well, there's staples in them, and you could hurt somebody. And I said, man, if you, if you think I need staples to kill everybody in this place, you're the one that's crazy. Don't... <laughs> Staples? Yeah, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't threaten. He threatened the staff. I mean, I didn't really outright threaten them, but I was like. He got a shot. Because you wanted to to fight. Yeah. Well, I just was embarrassed and being an asshole. And so. What'd that get you? (laughs) Yeah, I spent another week in there because of that. And then they figured out a civilian place for me to go, which is certainly beneficial to me. In fact, I think this divide we have between military people who have gone through traumas and civilians, I think that's a, that's, a bad, that's a bad divide. I think what I learned in that place is that I volunteered for some of the trauma that I got. There, mm-hmm. I met civilians in there who went through horrible things that they didn't volunteer for, right. and they were still in there trying to fight. And it was really educational for me. I, again, going back to you know, the personality stuff, I'm not the rah, 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 tough guy, chest out. That's just not how I look at things and for me being in a place where nobody really cared about the whole Navy SEAL thing everybody was really working on themselves and trying to figure that out I think that was a really big blessing and I think coming away from it it helped me a little bit 
I still didn't know what I was going to do with myself, but how, I how had long? definitely knew that I was capable and that I had the tools mm-hmm. to do it. And mm-hmm. I just had to figure it out. How long from the incidents where the police were called to you going to the hospital on the time that you spent rebuilding yourself? About when, a year. A year. Yeah. And so when was your first... When did when did Spike, Spike's canine fund, when did that become... So, so I started, I went back to the police department after I tried to get a couple of different jobs that didn't want me because I was not what they were looking for. <laughs> and I just didn't know, like, uh, you know. Uh, I went back to the police department and I said, hey, you know, my name's Jimmy and I used to do dog stuff. And they're like, yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> I'd gone to one of the... Um, yeah, we have you yeah. down as like a crazy... Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, I'd gone to the, a decoy course, you know, where you learn how to catch dogs uh-huh. in a bite suit yeah. with one of the officers and he like they put their arm around me took me in so I was working with them the Norfolk canine officers and they treated me great they yeah. made me feel like I had something to offer which I really right. needed I didn't understand how um, how much I needed that and so one day one of the dogs got hurt and one of the officers said hey man I you know the city isn't going to cover him we need to I'm like I got to raise money, but I don't know anything about that. So what, what year was this? 2014. Okay. So I got online. I found this thing called a booster campaign. Okay. So <laughs> I designed a sweatshirt uh-huh. and it was white, <laughs> which my wife and Emily are like, what were you thinking? Anyway. Uh, and I put that logo together with a friend who knew how to use Photoshop. So this was 2014 and yeah. I met you guys in 2016? Yeah. Wow, so this was just two years. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're just finishing our fifth year, really. Of, That's crazy. Yeah, this year. Anyway, so I had these sweatshirts printed up with the logo and I got online, Facebook, and I said, hey man, I'm trying to sell these to help a dog get a surgery that he needs. And dude, I made some money. I made well over 3000 bucks. Wow. Probably close to four. And so that paid for the surgery for the dog and for the officer to travel down to NC State and get it done. And then after that, I'm like, wow, this is my mission. Did you? So I owe the cops and I owe the dogs and that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And so that's like the whole mission of Spike's Canine. Um, Yeah. And I'm sure, Emily, there's no other person that could say it better than Emily, but the mission statement of Spike's Canine. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So at Spike's, we help active and retired working dogs and that goes for police military and search and rescue dogs with equipment needs life-saving equipment like ballistic vests heat alarms gps trackers for search and rescue dogs and then also medical expenses when they become sick or injured and that's both for active and retired dogs currently we've hoped helped over a thousand dogs in 47 different states so Uh we're all over the place and and there are i actually know this number 20 is it 2,500 or 25,000? So there's 25,000 working canines in the U.S. Is that just police or is that like police and military? Military. It's, and that's an estimate, All, too. It's an yeah. estimate, yeah. Yep. So which is why, uh, when was that? March? March, yeah. Was right it March? I rode 25 yeah. hours yeah. on a row where I was back at it again to raise money for the yep. working canines. Um, and that is the mission statement with Spike's canine and... Jimmy has gone on from transitioning from the military into the civilian world, losing, I guess, like, you know, you can call it his identity, like his purpose in life and going through this tragedy of losing who he was and then becoming reborn and finding himself and who he is again. Did you ever think whenever you're going through the SEAL training, whenever you're out there with the teams fighting, did you ever think that you would be doing what you're doing today? (laughs) No. Hell no. I had no idea that... uh, No. Really, I didn't. I really didn't. And (laughs) Did you ever think that I would... You would have somebody like me working... So, how long have you been working with... Since uh, the very beginning. Yeah. And it started out like it was all just So, what is the very... Like, were you around with a white sweatshirt? Yeah. Oh, yeah. but I was just a volunteer then. Like I, I bought a sweatshirt. Emily could write a book. Yeah. 
She should. So, like, the first year, you know, I was just, I wanted to help out any way I could. I was broke, so I was like, I, I'll just give you my time. I can do whatever you need me to do. And then it just kept growing, and uh-huh. he gave me more responsibilities, and then finally he brought me on full-time, and that's that's when the fun started. And that was <laughs> 2015. out the window. Yeah. You what? I got a burrito thrown out the window because I was three minutes late to the car. I mean, no, I, it, I know. So there's been a, like Jimmy and I and like with Emily, have we've had like a couple meetings and yeah. stuff. Dude, I can tell whenever I walk into a room or if I'm supposed to be there and if I'm like a minute late, yeah. I can tell the look on Jimmy's face. You feel it. You can feel it. I can it. feel it. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm late. I remember so now, you talked him down. You're like, Jimmy, really? Like that's three minutes I was like thank goodness somebody like is on yeah I was like ever since then I'm like all right he says 8 30 I'm gonna be there at 8 a.m yeah yeah like I am not gonna be late because I do not want to feel that you have to be early yeah crazy yeah lateness is so unacceptable how many dogs have you helped so far what did you say we're at about 1100 and was it 20 yeah, close to 1130 yeah. or something like that. Um, but what I've seen on your website is, like, there's different packages now. So I know, and, like, the Norfolk police, like, I've actually, I've become, like, friends with a lot of them. Um, they've let Bones come out to their uh, training grounds, like, oh. train, like, a little bit, go over their obstacle courses. Uh, but there's different packages, right? Because what is a, is it Ryan's dog? Yeah, we have different campaigns. Yeah, different support- campaigns, okay the different needs of the working dogs. We have the canine Kruger ballistic vest yeah. campaign, which and provides that's vest. Ryan's yep. dog that got killed. Yeah. Local dog uh, was shot. So after that, we started the ballistic vest campaign. And um, so what is that? You donate how much money? Uh, each vest is $2,500 and okay. each vest that we donate to a dog has his service number in it, Krieger's service number. So he's going to be remembered forever. That's cool. Um, and then we have the combat dog diesel medical campaign. Diesel was a dog that, he was a badass, served, uh, Jimmy helped pick him out. He served with his crew and in his retirement, we helped him with medical expenses. So the money Diesel donated. was a badass. Diesel got shot in the chest with yeah. an AK-47. Survived. Came home. Survived. Survived. Came home, rehabbed, and went back. When I got was shot in the leg, a I was done. No. Vest? No. It just uh-uh. hit him in the right place. He's just a badass. Yeah, he's a badass. So after that, uh, we started the campaign and all the money donated to that campaign goes towards medical expenses. Wow. Yeah. So the ballistic vest, and that's through Canine Storm, yeah, which is the company that makes. Because you guys have to custom fit the vest, yeah, and the yeah. dogs, yeah, yep, huh. yeah, they're good to go. And that's the same gear that Jimmy used while he was. Yeah, in the and they're the only manufacturer that I know of that has yeah. documented saves of dogs getting shot in their vests and surviving. Wow. So yeah. we, I mean, I trust them. Their stuff's guaranteed for life. They're super. Uh, Tier one customer service. They are on top of it. Right. They yeah. are not messing around. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. definitely a tier one organization. Mm-hmm. And you have a book called Touching the Dragon. Touching the Dragon, mm-hmm. and I really need people to buy it so that I can live out some of these plans. <laughs> yeah, right. The perception. Yeah, I was looking at apartments yeah, in like Tribeca. <laughs> oh. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I had do. some dreams. Yes, yeah. dreams. Come on, we got to make Jimmy's dreams. Yeah. Yes. So you can buy um, Touching the Dragon, which is written by Jimmy Hatch. Um, and it just, it tells all about your story and everything that happened. And, um, you know, I, Jimmy is such an example to those who, you know, if you feel like that you don't have a purpose or you're not sure, like maybe you're, we, you know, we talk about tribe or like the brotherhood and now you're like transitioning into like this space that you don't know how, like what you're going to do. And I think that it comes down to just doing what it is that you love, following your heart, and leading with passion. And if you do those three things, you will be able to define success. And that is what Jimmy has done with Spike's Canine. And now Thank you. Thank you. I think, I actually think you're a better example of that, honestly. I don't think so. No, I do. I think you, seriously, like, Look at what you do. Look at all the different organizations you've helped out. I yeah. mean, seriously, you yeah. got to take a little credit. Well, it's, it's it's passion though, and like you know, like I said in the beginning, that the organizations that I represent and that I'm truly passionate about, like I mean, it's it's obvious. Like there's no effort in it because it's truly like what I feel and it's like what I'm passionate about. And it's just kind of funny, like you know, being a part of Spike's Canine and and being a part of the mission and helping you guys raise money, like. 
I mean, now that I have like bones, like another, you know, a working canine, um, I would have never guessed before that I would have a working canine and even like the responsibility that comes with like having a working canine. I mean, it's a lot having any sort of dog. Yeah. And Spike's Canine is an organization that is helping men and women who dress up in uniform every single day and they go out on missions and they send their dogs to places that we are afraid to go to embark on the unknown and which is pretty incredible um dewey has a book his first book what was the first yeah what was the first book because i Uh, have that one yeah do it's just called dewey the puppy dewey the puppy is the first book and i actually have that book yep um it's a huge hit in my house (laughs) and then what's his second book uh just dropped today it's dewey goes to school so we're trying to make a series yeah Yeah. and dewey actually did go to school and it's it's based off true story so wow Uh, look at him Shows the difference between a pet and a working dog. And so all the books talk about working dogs mm-hmm. and give back to Spikes. So if you want to buy a book, if you want to buy Dewey's, Dewey's book, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> buy Touching the Dragon that is written by Jimmy Hatch, where can people where can people find you guys and like even learn more about the organizations and the different campaigns to donate? Because what I have found is that and it, how much is it for a vest? She said twenty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. that that can sound like a lot, but I know from experience that even the smallest amount, it truly matters. Yeah. It makes a difference. So maybe you can't donate twenty five hundred dollars for a vest for a working canine, but maybe you and a group of friends can do like a three hundred mile row. Yeah. Or a 25 hour row and you can raise $2,500 for a working vest, or you can just make a small donation to help, um, the working canines or just raise awareness. Yeah. Raise awareness. Social media is huge. And yeah. Yeah. So where can uh, people find more about the books and Jimmy and you guys and everything that spikes is doing. So social media, you'll find us at spikes canine fun. And then also spikes canine fun.org. That's the letter K number nine. Dot org and you'll just click on our store. Are you guys still planning on going to New York for yes. the uh, what is that called? It. The uh, soiree. 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 Yeah. yeah, you came to the first one. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I did. That so, was a lot of fun. That yeah. was crazy. You donated yeah. a pretty good package too. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our second one was supposed to be in May. Um, the heart of Manhattan, the World Trade Center. Top so of the World when, Trade when Center. is it now? It got pushed. It's going to be next May, twenty twenty one. Okay. Because Emily of COVID. is. This is a very soft subject for her. She's been... It's okay. Yeah. Because of COVID, we've had to postpone it. Just, right. you know, Because I know originally reasons. it was supposed to be in uh, May 2020. Yeah. And then it got... Yeah. You guys were thinking it was going to be like late summer. October. October, yeah. October. And then yeah. you just made the executive decision to push it back to 2021. Yeah. 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 Um, what I really hope that I can go to that. I do too. It's going to be... It's a, a yeah, once so, in a lifetime. Like and, uh, I, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So Anderson tell a little, like, speak a little bit about the story. Cause I know okay. Emily has spent so much time yes. and everything yes. on this. Her heart and soul has gone yeah. to this. Uh, Move the whiskey away from her. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be amazing. And it's, it's going to be at the top of the world trade center. Anderson Cooper is one of our biggest supporters and he has been just amazing through this whole process and working great with us and flexible. So He's going to be there. Um, and then Andy Cohen, one of his good friends, is going to be our MC. That's cool. Um, we just have some really cool people coming, some great athletes that are going to be there. Dewey's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Ashley's I'll be gonna there. Be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. It's going to be awesome. Um, so where can people get the these tickets? Alone. Are you selling tickets right now? Yep. Yeah. So you can buy your ticket um, at spikescaninefund.org and then click on events and you'll see it. Um, it's been postponed to May uh 16th it's on a Sunday from 4 to 8 um, and you'll meet some police dogs there there's going to be amazing food cool um, just a good night auction Very with cool. some cool items it's so. a Sunday night but the yeah, it, we, that's the only night we could afford yeah <laughs> yeah it's, we have a it's a great night yeah I know yeah, it's perfect yeah. it doesn't that's go too good. late so people got to go work the next day but we did get a much better deal on the venue because we did it yeah. on a Sunday so yeah well Sunday's cool. a good day well yeah. I just want to close with this, and this is probably this is for you, Jimmy. If anyone is transitioning from wherever they've been and they want to find their purpose in life, and 
identify with something again. Maybe they've, they've lost, they've lost touch. Like what, like what would you say to those people who feel like that they have lost their identity and they're searching for their identity again? Yeah. What would you say to them? I think I just look back at the mistakes that I made and, and those are learning moments. You know, at the time I was really humiliated and ashamed and those are powerful emotions and that they're actually a waste of time. If I wish that I would have had the courage. Remember when I talked about how the guy got up and quit in Hell Week and I was like, oh shit, I can't do it. I just didn't have the courage to continue on. And I didn't understand that I could create an environment like Spike's Canine Fund where you bring good people in and they work their asses off and it becomes a really positive thing. I could create that environment that I enjoyed with my buddies, that I went overseas and fought with, that I felt really strongly with. I could create that environment. And I did, with the help of a lot of people. Nobody does shit by themselves. This idea that pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Shut up, man. I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> Nobody does anything by themselves. Right. I had people a, in my yeah. life that came in and helped team. me. And but when people do that, you kind of owe them, you know? So have the courage to make mistakes and to try something. And if it doesn't work, okay. Try something else. Don't be afraid. And that's what I was. It really came down to fear. I just wanted to wash it all away. Drink, take my drugs. Oh, woe is me. I suck. I failed my last mission in the SEAL teams. I'm worthless. I mean, these are things that I felt and still struggle with. I just don't think that I had the courage to say, I don't, no matter what, I'm going to keep rolling. And I think sometimes, I don't know that everybody is capable of getting to that low point, but <clears throat> depression is a super selfish thing. You're not selfish on purpose, but I have never been more selfish in my life than when I was suicidal because I felt like there was, I had no hope. I had nothing to offer. I was no way I could be an asset. I was a liability to everybody. And I wanted somebody else to come in and say, no, 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 it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's just not how life is. Be brave, make mistakes, get on with it. You know what I mean? And forgive yourself. That's hard. It's a really hard thing to do. You can eat yourself up and think about all the mistakes you made. Or you can learn from them and try to do something else. I think having a little faith, some courage, take some strength from the people around you that love you because they're there. You may not think so, but they are. Even sometimes, like my buddies, the guys that I deployed with, they just come sit with me. They didn't know what to say to me. They weren't a social worker. They just were there. I mean, that counts for something. Yeah. They, didn't, they had other things they could be doing, right. you know, and they chose to spend time with me. You mattered. Right. And I just didn't think I did. So what I would recommend for other people is have the courage to just get out there and get some. It's really hard when you transition from one type of life that's especially something that's so immersive. Like, you know, it was my life. It wasn't just a job to me. It was my life. It was who I was. When you transfer, and I think, like you mentioned, professional athletes, like those guys, I mean same deal you're famous because you are good at this all of a sudden you can't do that anymore for whatever reason now what now you got to create something else and that i wish i would have done that a lot quicker and without Mm -hmm. the drama and the damage that i caused to you know my family and to my friends by being yeah but with without a doubt though all like all of that that all of those trials though do you mean like made you who you are today yeah for sure and that's true of all of us but i think that hopelessness is dangerous Mm -hmm. and i think there's a couple of ways to look at it. One, you can get, and I don't care who you are. You know, I know some very, very good people who have committed suicide. And um, there's other good people out there that I don't know that have committed suicide. Um, and there's nobody to blame for that. You know, you can blame yourself, but it's not really fair. We all make those decisions. We get to a place in our head. We make choices in our lives, and sometimes they're not good choices. But as a person on the outside, when I see, when I can see somebody struggling, I'm not afraid anymore to say, hey, man, are you all right? Because being uncomfortable, like if I, if, if I thought you were bummed out, I'm like, Ashley, what do you think? Are you all right? You know, what's going on? And you're like, hey, shut up. Leave me alone. I don't, okay. But I tried, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I extended myself. <clears throat> I think if more of us did that, I think we'd have a lot better mental right. health situation than we do right now. And that's what people did with me. So step in. You never know what you're helping somebody out. Those cops that came to my house that night, I put vests on, you know, probably close to 600 dogs now. We've helped out 1,100 and some odd dogs. And 
we see cops, like I've seen them cry when they get the vest for the dog. I've seen their families, like their daughters, yeah. hugging the, you know, like, and that's because those cops. Right. You know, like, I mean, they changed the trajectory of my life. What's that quote? That's the one. Yeah. Never underestimate your ability to affect the trajectory of another human's life, especially at their most vulnerable moments. I was, a, I was at the lowest point in my life, and those dudes are like, hey, man, it's going to be all right. We're going to take care of you. I'm like, and, and here we is, are. And that is why. That is why yeah, you have. 100%. Like, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll end with this uh, story. <clears throat> we, were, uh, we, we were on, like, the railroads playing around. Yeah. What were we doing? <laughs> I think yeah. we were shooting oh, with, like, Reebok or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. With Andrew. Dang, I remember that. <laughs> that was a long time. And ago. all of a sudden, I remember we were like playing on the railroads. I guess we weren't supposed to be there. I don't know. Some people I was call with, that trespassing. Jimmy I was does with Jimmy. Once. Yeah, yeah, he's the outlaw clearly yeah. in this yeah. situation. We just rolled. And with then it. all of a sudden, like we were leaving, and then like the <laughs> okay. sirens came on. It was like I was like pulled over, and I called Jimmy. I was like, "You better come back right now." <laughs> I'm getting pulled over. Yeah. You need to call your friends, the Norfolk Police Department, because one of them are <laughs> Somebody pulling over the right cops now. on us. Anyways, like Jimmy came back, and anyways, it was just I think the connection that you have <laughs> now, like with the officers and just the community that you. I mean, I've met some really great people, like Anne Marie. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. she's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and it's all been because like you have you've pulled so many people together. Yeah. So. Well, they they started it. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for coming you. on today. It was really good. Thank you, thank you. Emily, um, for coming. And Dewey. Dewey. He's been sleeping. Is yeah. awesome. He's been he might have been drinking some whiskey. Yeah, we don't he's know. Trying. Next time we're talking um, about a fee, though. This million dollars before you're 30. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, that was crazy. I didn't even know that I made like a million dollars. That's crazy. It was crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't have it now. I just like spent it all <laughs> on like the American On all your stuff. like six businesses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I reinvested it out yeah. of like the fitness industry because, yeah. you know. You know that has a time limit. Yeah. I do want to say something. I know this is your show. But when I first met Emily <laughs> and we started getting right involved with you, uh-huh. I said, "What's? I don't understand why you love her so much, you know? <laughs> yeah, why do you? No. And do so, you? I was obsessed. And she, yeah. said, <laughs> and she said to me, oh, look, weird. you know, no. I went through some, because Emily had been married previously. I struggled before. And, and I re- she said yeah. she was just, she went to your you social media. You were a source media, of inspiration. Yes. And Absolutely. gave her strength. And I'm like, fuck, that's. I, That's I went significant. through a really dark place. So thank you. Yeah. And I just like went through and unfollowed like everybody. A lot of like the fitness, yeah. you know, celebrities or whatever. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm keeping Ashley. Like, this <laughs> Good. I stayed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there, you there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of just like, I don't know. I got to say, though, I was so nervous when we first met. I'm like, all right. Really? Like, yeah. Because I'm like, what if she's you know, like not who I think she is. And then like so, this whole, but, but am all these I, years like, I've been was looking I, is it? Oh, you exceeded it. Yeah. Oh, it was, good. it was great. But I'm like, oh, this could go either way, but it was great. You yeah. were, now we're buddies. Yeah. And we're going to start rolling. Yeah. yeah. Soon. That'll be good. I'd like to take photos of that. Yeah. yeah. We need Amory too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. Next Monday. All right. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the Reborn podcast. Make sure that you subscribe, leave your comments below, and um, tell your friends and your family and anybody else who would like to listen to us today. Um, I have really enjoyed my session with Emily and Jimmy with Spikes Canine. And if you want to donate uh, to a great cause um, or do something for an organization that is truly giving back, um, with purpose, spikes canine fund.org is mm-hmm. the place to go. So, my name is Ashley Horner. This is the Reborn Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me today. We are out. Mm-hmm.